We were trying to save the world I was picking up the house Why don't you put it down? Come over Come over Welcome to Femidish, a podcast about food through a feminist lens, where we elevate the stories of women by celebrating their unique abilities to nourish themselves and one another. My name is Sandy, and I'm here with my co-host today, Hope. Hi, everyone. And we are very glad to have today with us Vic, who is the owner of Bird Kitchen Clothing in Wales. Hi, Vic. Hi there. So I hope I'm really excited to be back with you today and to be um, get a chance to have a really fun conversation and learn some stuff. Vic, how are you doing today? Yeah, pretty good. We've got the sunshine, the birds singing this end, so all good. That's wonderful. That is a little different from where we are in New England, in Maine today. It's um, a little snowy, a little cold, and a little rainy. So <laughs> we've we've traded, from what I hear about Wales, we've traded weather. Yeah. <laughs> so Vic, um, you used to own a seafood bistro in Wales, and um, you've transitioned, or you closed your bistro, and you've started a a kitchen clothing line for women who love to cook. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your, your bistro, um, but also why you closed, how you transitioned to um, women's kitchen work fashion. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I ran my own cafe bistro for a couple of years. It was a a lovely spot, a coastal town, and we specialized in seafood. I absolutely loved running it. I was in my element. Um, But I found it really hard to juggle with the demands of having a young family. I've got two daughters, um, and at the time they were eight and nine years old. And I just felt I was leaving too many gaps. And in the end, something had to give, and it it was the cafe. Um, and I had to kind of just sit back and think, right, I need to reassess how I'm going to um, do this. And so I ended up closing the cafe, handing it over to one of our chefs. And I really wanted to figure out how women in food managed to make things work, um, not least the childcare issue um, and just all the other demands that we have on us as women, as parents, um, and also wanting to look after our health. Because as I'm sure you know, working in hospitality, it's 24 seven, um, you know, it's, it's relentless. And if you've got other demands in your life, it's pretty hard to juggle. So I set about um, literally speaking to other women in food across the UK. Um, I set up an interview series um, on a website um, as a blog post, basically. And I spoke to a whole range of women who worked in food, to Michelin star chefs, to women who'd set up supper clubs, women who run food trucks, um, that we had a really radical chef who went into schools and 
and really turned things around there. So I had a real kind of collection of women doing different things and making it work for them. And I learned a lot through these interviews. And what was really interesting and what I didn't kind of expect to find were these common themes cropping up over and over again. And from that experience, I thought, I've learned so much here. I want to be able to share it. And so it was in then looking for a platform of how I could share this information of all these stories from women making it work for them in food so that we could go on and I could go on to help inspire other women who'd kind of hit the wall as I had and to show that there is a way through. Um, and so during the course of these interviews, um, you know, I couldn't help but observe, you know, what, what women were wearing in the kitchen. And it tallied with my experience of there not being any decent workwear out there to cook in. Chef jackets are designed for guys. They don't allow for our curves and they're very boxy. Um, aprons generally are quite poorly designed and if you've done a long day wearing the same apron, you know, you do get neck strain from them. And so there were all these little bits that were kind of coming together and I thought that's it. It's designing a range of workwear for women in food, um, both women cooking at home and cooking professionally, and then using that as my platform to engage and promote the stories of women who are working in food, which is something really close to my heart. So your, your story is incredibly relatable to me. Um, I am a mother with two young boys who actually stopped working as a cook because I just couldn't figure out how to do it and be a mom. <laughs> like, how do you work until, you know, 1am and then go home and your kids are up at five and, you know, just how do you see them? Who watches the kids during those hours? Um, how do you even make them enough money to make ends meet? And, mm-hmm. and so I totally understand that, that feeling of working in hospitality, being a mom with all these other demands and kind of hitting a wall and just not knowing how to make it work. So mm-hmm. I actually stopped cooking professionally right after becoming a mom and, haven't managed to go back to it um, because yeah. it just, it, it's not a sustainable job for, for mom <laughs> as much as I love it. Yeah. I'm also really excited about your clothing line because I also happen to be about like uh, four or five feet, maybe one inch <laughs> if I'm lucky. And so I have literally swam in chef clothing my entire professional career. Yeah. Yeah. Would you be able to explain for some of us uh, non non kitchen workers, non restaurant workers uh, like myself, and maybe some of our listeners, um, what would be some of the differences? Hope mentioned maybe the length. You said the boxiness of it, the pull of the apron. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I I wouldn't I would never think about that that there would be differences for the clothing, but it obviously makes so much sense. Can you go into a little more detail about what? those differences are like what life in a kitchen is like and why the clothes um, why that's so important yeah of course well i i came at the um at bird kitchen clothing with three garments all based on my experience of working in a kitchen and the first one is the chef jacket so this is kind of the classic 
outfit when you think of a chef with a tall pointy hat um, that they are wearing and it's it's um, a button down um, generally white jacket um, that's made from breathable fabric and it's got like a mandarin collar it's a very kind of significant design that goes back years you know it's got real heritage um, but Classically, it's designed for men, so there's no tailoring in it for women. So, for example, um, in our chef jacket, we've got a princess seam along the bust line so that it follows your curves, so it moves with you. So it's shaped to fit so that you don't feel like um, you're swimming in it, as it were, um, and it also moves with you better. Um, it, also, the length of within the body, it's designed to sit on our hips so you don't have it riding up at the back. Um, and just to give you more room at the front in the chest. So again, it's just down to tailoring um, and using a pattern that's cut for the female shape rather than the male. And it just means that it's a garment that's much more comfortable and makes you feel good when you put it on because it, you know, it fits you like a glove and it, yeah, it just sits right. So that was really important to me that it's to take such an iconic um, garment and tailor it quite simply for women. So that was our flagship, um, kind of our iconic um, item. But then the second item that we do is the chef is the cook's tunic, and the cook's tunic I felt more comfortable in um, when I was working um, running my bistro um, because it's for more relaxed kitchens. It's still a workwear garment. It's still practical, and you can move really easily in it. Um, but it's based on a traditional smock. Um, but again, it's more tailored and it's got a beautiful boat neckline, so it looks really sharp and classic. But it's kind of like the, my thinking behind it is about raising the status of being a cook because I speak to so many women in food who say, oh, I'm a cook, I'm not a chef. Um, and it's like this whole status thing going on. And it's almost as if somehow being a cook, you're secondary to a chef. And it's kind of down to the training that you've had, if you've learned on the job or you've been to chef school, but you can still turn out amazing food. So for me to get a chef's, a cook, sorry, a cook's tunic in the collection, a cook's tunic is really important to me because it is saying, being a cook, you have status. So that's a really important piece for me. And then the third piece is the robin apron. And again, a robin apron is an apron cut for women. So it's got on the bust line, it's a slightly narrower bib. It's cut away um, underneath the arms to go with our chest. So again, it doesn't get too boxy around our chest as generally aprons can. It has a cross back, so it fits really snugly for all our various shapes and sizes it just hugs you really comfortably and also avoids that pulling on the back of your neck that so many aprons can do so the three garments are all really carefully thought out and each and every one of them have come from my experience and from the experience of other women who've worked in kitchens I, I love that. I'm looking at them on the website right now and it's, they're just really lovely pieces in addition to being super functional. And I think it's cool, the symbolism behind what you're doing. Like you mentioned the iconic chef jacket. That's something that we think of when we think of chefs and we think of you know, professional and Michelin starred restaurants, things like that. 
Um, so changing that, changing the chef jacket to be more focused for women is a symbolism almost of changing the game for women, changing what kitchens are like for women, changing the culture around that. Can you talk about any of that, about what some other kitchen changes would be for women? What else does it mean to have women um, be more comfortable, more accepted and more ingrained in kitchen life? I'm just nodding away as you're saying this. <laughs> Absolutely true. Um, so one of the things that I felt I learned from my um, the interviews and speaking to women chefs um, and women who stepped out of uh, kitchens they'd been working in to set up their own kitchen and the difference in a kitchen that is led by a woman um, is really exciting to see. I don't know if you're familiar with um, River Cafe in London. Um, that was set up years ago by two women, um, Rose and Ruth. And essentially, it was a professional kitchen run by women. And what seems to happen um, when women run their professional kitchens um, is that take, they take a more egalitarian approach it tends to be, and, and this has come up time and time again in interviews I've, I've had with um, women chefs, uh, the idea is that everyone is capable of doing all the jobs in the kitchen. You don't get stuck to just one station. Everyone is able to move around and make an equal contribution. There also seems to be a greater emphasis on well-being. Um, there was one chef, woman chef I spoke to, Rosie Healy, and she doesn't allow the double shift culture in her kitchen um, because she puts the well-being of her chefs paramount. So no one is having to work crazy hours. Um, the rotor is organized so that everyone has, does an eight-hour shift and that's it, they're home. Whereas traditionally, as I'm sure you're aware, uh, working in kitchens, you know, you're doing 12, 14-hour days. It doesn't have to be like that. And for whatever crazy reason, and there are reasons why it has been like that, but it doesn't have to be. And what I'm really excited about, and for me, what that chef jacket represents is women coming into the industry, leading their kitchens and making these amazing changes that not only benefit the women working in the kitchens, but the guys as well. And essentially, for me, that's what feminism is all about. It's to benefit everyone, not just the women, but, but everyone for us as a society. I think that's an important thing to recognize is that, um, although, you know, our focus here on feminist is food and feminism and sharing women's experiences, is that feminism isn't just for women. It, it's kind of a way forward that's a more equal and kind of more sustainable society. It's not just... Um, you know, let's put women in power within the same system that we're currently operating in, but let's, um, you know, make these system changes that make it easier for both men and women to kind of lead yeah. sustainable yeah. lifestyles. Um, and I think I agree with you that your experiences or, or, um, or that you've noticed these differences between women run and male run kitchens, um, having worked in several of both kinds myself, um, women do seem to run their kitchens in a way that is more humanizing for the people that work, work for them, um, respectful of their needs as, as people and individuals. Um, 
I was curious, you know, so you have this beautiful design and you've put so much thought into each design and um, how your clothing affects not only the way the women who wear it feels, but also maybe how they're perceived by others and also the needs of the woman's body and the actual cut of the fabric. Um, but where did the idea, you have these beautiful names that go along with each design. You talked about the Robin apron and the name of the company itself is bird kitchen clothing. And there seems to be a bird theme here. And, you know, Sandy and I were chatting before, where does bird kitchen come from? Why is it a Robin apron? Um, what is some of the symbolism that you're using? Sure. Well, I was playing around with lots of different ideas, um, as you do when you're starting um, a new project. And um, so there's a, um, in over in the UK, and I don't know if it's the same in America, but often um, we, if you hear about people catcalling you, um, often as women, you can get shouted at at the street and be referred to as bird, um, or in the same way as they, someone would say, oh, love, or that you'd get called a bird. Um, and so in a way, it's like reclaiming this, this term that guys often use for women, that old bird or come here bird. Um, it's reclaiming it because actually birds are beautiful things. Um, so it's a little bit tongue in cheek. Um, and there's a pop song um, by a band called the Ting Tings, and um, it's called That's Not My Name. And on there, she talks about being called Bird, and she's saying, that's not my name. So it's just a bit of fun. That's a song that I love, and it's a, just a sense of let's reclaim this name and have some fun with it. And then that then leads into the Robin, um, being the Robin Apron, um, and just being able to play around with lots of birdie names, as it were, for the collections. Oh, my well, I'm gosh. So I asked because I had no idea. Yes, <laughs> yes. I am just smiling from ear to ear and dancing in my chair over here. I love that so much. The play on words, the like, you know, and I, I can picture so many, you know, men with English accents be calling women a bird and oh, could, like, calling a group of women little birds or something. I feel like I've heard that before. That is that is so neat. Um, and Hope can talk about this a little bit. Um, the name Femidish of the podcast, we the the dish part of it is also a name for a woman calling woman a dish, you know, saying, oh, she's so she's attractive. Wow. What a dish that woman is. Yeah. So working that kind of um same same idea into the name of our podcast too i, I think that's so neat that's so fun <laughs> wow um and now i'm looking up the ting tings as well so thank you for sharing that <laughs> yes. with all of us too. Yes. <laughs> well i'm curious about just how language comes about because i had no idea that in uh the uk that bird was like a a slang term for a woman because you know in the u.s we would say that chick which is uh -huh. also a bird <laughs> Oh, yeah. you're right. Yeah, that's neat. And that was so I wonder why why both both uh, versions of English have a bird related slang term to refer to women. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. And it, how it would be maybe received differently if, like, in in the UK, it would be very obvious. Oh, bird. She's referring to like a, a slang kind of term or like tongue in cheek, like you said. But maybe in you know we we just assume you're all so refined over here that of course. Bird must mean some, you know, sophisticated <laughs> term. 
So since uh, quarantine, I've been following you on uh, Instagram and you've been providing some lovely little cooking shows. What have you been cooking? And um, I mean, this all started or a lot of this started because you were in the hospitality industry. So um, yeah, what what are you you doing right now? (laughs) Well, I guess trying to make sense of quarantine um, and having that much more time at home and cooking and just that desire to connect with people. So I just had a bit of fun um, doing some cooking videos and getting those out there. And then just the feedback I was getting from from them was just so lovely. People saying things like, oh, it was really reassuring to see you and just the sense of normality that life goes on. We still have to get dinner on the table. So it was a way and is a way of connecting and having just that kind of little burst of normality um, and just getting back to basics really. So I haven't been cooking like super technical dishes. I've, I've been making the kind of food that I like to cook for myself and for my family. Um, and also looking at ways that you can maybe stretch your store cupboard staples, you know, or what to do if you haven't got any wheat flour and you want to make some bread and, you know, those kind of things. Um, so it's just a way of keeping the conversation going um, and exploring different ways of connecting and having a bit of fun. That's, that's I think, what we're all, where we're all kind of at is, how, how do we cook every single day now for ourselves three times a, three times a day and um, keeping it fun and keeping it um, affordable and keeping it uh, simple and easy. Um, so that's cool to have a, a nice outlet for people to have that and see you doing that. Have you noticed any difference between the people who are responding? Do you see it's mostly women that are following you? Is there a gender difference at all or um, any stories that have come out from people being involved with you on Instagram and watching you do these videos? Yeah, I I would say predominantly it is women. Um, It's like on Instagram, it's something like 70, 30 women to men, um, which, which is you know, it's great. You know, I, I enjoy the company of women. Um, I feel at home there. Um, and I see other women kind of picking up the baton and making um, their videos as well about cooking. So it's like we're all inspiring each other and bouncing off ideas from one another, which is really lovely and kind of what it's all about. I spent maybe... 20 minutes, maybe 10, 15, I guess I lost trigger time, but um, watching a friend of mine on Instagram, she did a step-by-step making a clam chowder. And it was so relaxing and just easy and very pleasant to just watch her on her Instagram stories, just go through. She had everything all chopped up evenly before. And, you know, you just watch the like garlic and the base, um, the bacon simmer a little bit and um, it was very pleasant. It was very nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like being in the kitchen with your friend, isn't it? Having a glass of wine and yeah. yeah, you can hear her voice and she's just talking away, making jokes, and it was it was very pleasant. Yeah, yeah. Can you tell me about Homebird? Yes, yeah. So, yeah, so Homebird definitely has come out of quarantine um, from you know the experience of quarantine, and my vision for it is that 
people will be wearing the Homebird t-shirt and, and sharing their images on Facebook and Instagram. And again, a way of connecting, of saying, we're all in this together. We're all Homebirds now. And of course, for the play on the word bird, it's, you know, music to my ears. But yeah, so I came, I was just thinking I'm a home bird and I thought that would work on a t-shirt. So I put together the slogan um, I got some T-shirts made up um, and a percentage, 25% from every sale is going to the UK Trussell Trust, which is a food bank charity over here in the UK. Um, and the food banks, um, I'm sure it's the same in the States, have just been slammed um, since the COVID-19 outbreak uh, because people have just been hit so badly economically. They're having to resort to food banks just to get food on the table. So for me, it felt like a really positive thing that myself and my community can do um, by buying these t-shirts um, and sharing images of each other as we're all wearing our homebird t-shirts, but also putting serious money um, towards the Trussell Trust and helping them in their work. Oh, what a wonderful endeavor. That's so great. I love the term homebird too. I saw that you've been finishing the t-shirts yourself at home. With, with I, have. I <laughs> so have. I have, like, yeah. A real cotton a, a big hand touch that I like. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was wondering, is it too much information for me to share there? But I thought, no, you know, I am finishing these by hand. Um, there's a little bit of magic that goes in there. So let's share that part of the story. So, yeah, yeah, bit of fun. I think it's wonderful. Nowadays, um, you know, so many people turn to kind of graphic t-shirts for, for various causes or different um, artistic outlets. And so I like the touch that you've actually been, you know, finishing each one personally. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that's really, that's really special. And I hope that there, it just get, you get millions of dollars in sales and that you can get <laughs> so much to go to the trestle trust that's really that's so great and really really needed yeah thank you we're on to our third batch now so that's that's really exciting to see that response and one of the nice things that people are doing is they're buying one for themselves and one for a friend or a family member so they can both be wearing their homebird t-shirts at the same time so that that's a really lovely outcome from it too Oh, neat. That would be so fun to have pictures of that, like side by side, like someone in their yeah. home wearing their homebird shirt and somewhere else wearing it. <laughs> oh, that's really special. Um, has there been anything else and you've been doing in quarantine to, to stay sane? Um, you know, we have just a perspective here in the States of what's been going on. What's it been like over there in, in other countries? Yeah, well, where I'm, where I am here in Wales, it's, it's pretty rural. So to be honest, our lifestyle is quite isolated anyway. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm making light of that. Um, you know, my children at home, they've been, um, they're, they're learning from home um, online with their schools, digital schooling. Um, so that's a change. We're all at home together. Um, and it's, it's one of those things where 
I find day to day, you know, we, it's fine. But if you kind of stop and think about things too much or go too deep into it, it's it can preoccupy your thoughts. So for me as a mom, I feel like looking after my family and staying positive gets not just my family through, but it gets me through as well. It gives me a focus. So just taking it a day at a time and feel like we're all pulling together and doing what we can and we'll come through this the other side. That's really lovely. That's really lovely. I think something that we can all remember and think about and just to take it day by day. Um, I know for me, I definitely have like, days where you start to think about the long term or the bigger picture and sometimes you just have to take that down a notch and say well I'm just doing what I can today and and you move forward with it especially like you have a family and kids to help make sure they get through school and things like that you know there's a lot to to focus on each day yeah yeah I mean I do I do wonder how it's going to be for hospitality and you know with social distancing and how that's going to shake down long term and I you know I I'm really feel that the hospitality community is hurting really bad right now and I you know I that is in my thoughts um and I guess we've just got to be creative and come up with solutions, which I'm sure we will, because if ever there was a creative bunch of people, it's it's people who work with food. Um, a, f- a friend of mine, she runs a restaurant, and for the summer she's um, going to buy a food truck so she can get her food out to people um, so she can they can still manage with social distancing. She's still able to cook. She's going to park it up on the seafood front um, and serve her guests that way so I thought that's great that's a really positive step um, thinking outside the box and thinking how can I make this this work so I think just step at a time and we'll just all keep going that's really creative that's a great solution I was going to ask if you had heard of anything that the restaurant industry has been doing to try to change or um, shift at all um, I know in the States, we have a lot of restaurants that are doing curbside pickup. So they still have their kitchen staff and maybe a couple front of the house and they make things people order and then you just come pick it up. And that maybe it's not the most, the same as the most lucrative as what it was before, but that's one way that they've still been able to keep their employees employed and still be able to get some revenue. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing, just, just getting through it and, you know, taking it step at a time. Yeah. As you were going and doing your interviews for, you know, after your bistro, after you were trying to figure out what to do next, and you were interviewing all these different women and the, and thinking about, you know, what are the needs and what's going on? Obviously what came out of that is the need for some really wonderful and empowering clothing in the kitchen. What other um, summations, what other insights did you get from, from that process? of asking all these different women about yeah. what their what their needs are and what they're facing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess I learned about um, the power of sharing our stories um, because I think when you, when anyone comes up against a challenge, when I came up against my challenge with the cafe, I felt like that's it. It's the end of the road. There's no way through this. Um, and had I been in a position whereby I'd been aware of different solutions that were out there, different things that women were doing in food and managing it around their family, um, I think 
you know, I, I, things could have turned out differently. I, I don't know, but I, I think there's a real power in sharing our stories um, with one another and sharing our experience um, to kind of get you through when things get tough. And when you run a business, um, whatever kind of business it is, you know, there are going to be challenges. There always are. And the more you can draw from a community of people in a similar boat to you, and maybe not a similar boat to you, but with a common interest, um, the more you can learn and make informed decisions. So from this series of interviews that I held, that was a real strong lesson for me, was to build a community whereby as women um, with a passion for cooking and working in food, um, we'd be in a position to share our stories and support one another, not least because the hospitality industry is so heavily weighted towards guys. Um, you know, women have kind of, we've got to kind of club together and, and make our voices heard and share our stories to, to find a way through and to make it work for us. I, I definitely at Femidish, we understand the sharing stories idea. I mean, that's really what we're here to do is to bring on awesome women like you with great perspectives and look at the myriad of perspectives there is with food and share those stories. And that's truly the point. That's it. It's just to create this platform, create a community, bring people together around it, because we definitely agree that that's so that's so powerful for so many different reasons to have that opportunity for women. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see at all a, or what did you see for a distribution when it came to women employed in different food industries? Was there, you know, in my mind, there's a, women are in the minority when it comes to running kitchens. So maybe there's only a handful there, but maybe there was a whole lot of women in some other sector of the hospitality industry. Mm -hmm. Did you have any comments on that on like the amount of women in different industries? Yeah, sure. So I think I think there are less women who run their own restaurants, and I think this comes down to access to capital. Um, I think it is harder for women to, for whatever reason, um, raise capital and access capital. Very often, uh, the big prizes are given to male chefs, and money follows prizes, and with that money then comes investment and in great restaurants. Um, so women are underinvested in. Um, um, so what I find a lot of women tend to do is uh, kitchen table startups. So, for example, Chef Ron Gill, um, she began making chutneys from her kitchen table that she sold at a local market stall. And from there, it developed into a supper club and culminated in running um, her own restaurants that she managed to get the money together to do. But it was, you know, a long and right winding road to get there. But nonetheless, running with that passion, you just find a way, whatever way that is, to find an inroad. And then eventually things things fall into place. Um, so I would say proportionally, there's probably more women running supper clubs because it's something you can do from home and therefore are either around a family or certainly with less investment. Um, and food trucks, I think, have been brilliant for women to get into food because, again, it's low investment. Um, as with the pop-ups, supper clubs, um, it's low investment and it's a great way to test the water and find out who your customers are and what works. So we need to get more money out there to women. Yeah, 
Yeah. And, you know, so more women need to be celebrated. You know, women have to be seen as the prize winners. Um, They have to be on the panels who are judging. They have to be nominated for the prizes. Um, You know, it's just getting the profile out there of, you know, amazing women who are already out there cooking and doing well. Um, It just is a question of pushing them forward. Do you have a favorite woman uh, restaurateur or um, you know thought uh, thought leader on this idea? Someone that you look to, a, a mentor or um, an idol of any kind when it comes to this? Oh well, I love the phrase "is idol," <laughs> and I would love to be my mentor. Um, but I'm a massive fan of Azima Khan. Um, so the Darjeeling um, Supper Club she began. Um, she's now on Netflix. Uh, she's a, an amazing woman. Um, based, she's from Cambridge. Um, her restaurant is in London, and she, she speaks so well on the magic of running an all-women kitchen. Um, of being a woman chef leading her kitchen, and she speaks so well and eloquently, and she's got a great sense of humour. So Asma Khan certainly will be. My my number one hero. I think she's pretty far up there on my list as well. <laughs> Asma Khan, and that is uh, A-S-M-A-K-H-A-N for those That's out there to, um, to look her up and get familiar with her. That's awesome. Hope, do you have a favorite um, woman restaurant food icon? That's a hard one. Um... Maybe not favorite, that might be hard, but someone that yeah, comes favorite, to mind. Favorites are hard, sure. and there is so many good ones out there. And, you know, this kind of been, I don't know if it's a flaw in my personality or any, or, or something, <laughs> I don't know how to phrase it, but I'm really, really bad at following celebrity of any kind. Um, it doesn't matter if it's music or, or food or anything. I, I tend to be pretty out of touch with, like, who's popular and who the rest of the world knows. And... So some of my favorite cooks are really, or famous women in food are really just kind of like nameless women that I've worked with. And I only say nameless just because it it wasn't their fame or like something major that they accomplished, but just, just their ability to show up every day and to be this amazing, um, cook and, and leader of a kitchen. And I haven't worked with so many of them. So they all kind of stand out in my head. Um, but no, I don't, I don't really follow enough, um, kind of like media to have like a, a, a favorite who's actually vocal about any of these issues. That's, that's all right. That's all right. Um, some of the most influential people in our lives are people that are really close to us and have, we have personal relationships with yeah, people ask me about, you know, musical influences and stuff, too. And usually who I'm quoting, you know, from a family of musicians, it's like my own, my own relatives. <laughs> a woman that I like that, and she's not a restaurant person, but um, it was someone that changed my perspective a lot when it came to understanding food issues. And that's Marion Nessel. And she is, was pretty controversial in some circles because she just really questioned a lot of the government lobbies and um, really like took a lot of that to task and exposed that there's a lot of 
can be a lot of corruption in our policies when it comes to food and um, even what what we say is healthy and looking at the, um, well, who who's telling you that that's healthy and are they benefiting from you thinking that's healthy because you'll buy it more and um, that didn't make her popular. And um, so she was uh, someone that I just, when I started to learn about these issues, I learned about her first and I read a lot of her stuff and that like, I'm sure there's lots of other people that talk about very similar things, but she was really the first one for me that got me thinking like, oh yeah, wow, that is really important to know and to think about and to um, hold people accountable for. Yeah. Now, Vic, we talked a little bit about how um, the pandemic has kind of just changed our day-to-day life and some of our responses to it, um, some of the things we've done to cope, like your little cooking videos, which I've enjoyed so much. But what what has it done to your business and how do you see bird kitchen clothing moving forward and and what are your goals there and i know for any business owner times could not be more uncertain but what are your thoughts about the next steps forward yeah of course of course well predominantly we're all home cooks now um so uh, you know there's always opportunity in in these occasions and and Everyone is cooking at home and increasingly turning to the kitchen as a place to relax um, and nourish. So I think there's really exciting times um, ahead for bird, certainly in that spectrum. So I see our role as to really encourage and inspire um, women who are maybe discovering cooking for the first time um, and cooking at home for their family, um, whilst also supporting um, our pro cooks um, who you know are, are really feeling the heat so you know there's, there's two prongs to it I think we've got to lift up um, the pro cooks the pro chefs and be there to support them with information and inspiration as much as we can um, and then just to celebrate the simple joy of cooking even if it's just for yourself cooking at home um, and enjoying that whole process um, and with that in mind we, we've got some new products coming through um, specifically for the home cook which I'm really excited about Um, so yeah you know uh, business is about rolling with change and adapting day by day because nothing stays the same and it's about being in touch with your community and seeing what those needs are and how we can best meet them and how how bird can be there for for all women in food and so that's the challenge and and that's what I'm really excited about moving with and part of the joy of being a startup and a small business is that we can move quickly so i can go from having for example the idea of the home bird t-shirts and to getting that into an actual thing um you know an actual product and this is such an exciting process ready to retail within two to three weeks so that turnaround is just phenomenal compared to a bigger company that has to go through design and manufacturers and marketing um, because of social media and um, digital marketing I can move really quickly with products and so be really responsive so yeah just rolling with it and um, make, making it work now I'm really excited about what products um, you already kind of have on the docket for a release but I also have a little bit of a request When I um, worked in kitchens, one of my first real jobs as a line cook in New York City, this very 
it was the end of the night. We're cleaning up and I was mopping the floor and the pot of um, like just barely cooler than boiling temperature water, which we had used for our steam table, um, was sitting on the edge of a table and it fell and kind of all of this really hot water hit my lap and ran down my ill-fitting men's kitchen pants into my shoes. And I burnt both of my feet or my feet were burned so badly that I lost the skin around both of my ankles. They're still scarred um, today. And it's because all of the pants um, are made so poorly for women. And I've seen some other women's kitchen clothing brands come out recently and I'm looking at these designs and there's no way I'm going to buy them because they all have this tapered leg pant and I just see the boiling water running into my shoes. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I would love, absolutely love like a pair of women's work pants that are boot cut so the water does not go into your shoes or whatever hot boiling substance might be coming at you. Um, and yeah. then also are like a little more high-waisted because I don't know how many times yeah. working with a bunch of men and you, you know you're bending over and like you mentioned about your jackets being um, cut so that they don't ride up in the back well same issue with pants kind of coming down in the back <laughs> when you're to all ways that you're required to in the kitchen so if I could you know put an idea in your head to you know yeah. come to fruition so it would be a woman's fitted work pant that you know, actually protected uh, the woman from all of the hazards of a kitchen and kept her bottom covered when bending yeah. over. <laughs> More importantly, I like it. We heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> it's really important. She wants her own line. So if you could just name this the Hope line. I don't know what, what bird no. is Hope, but. It was before we got on the on this call with you. I was telling Sandy, I was like, "Man, I hope they come out with pants." Like this has been a problem for me. Uh, this happened probably a decade decade ago. This this pretty significant barn. I um, mean, I was out of work for a couple of weeks because I couldn't wear shoes. Um, and yeah. it was really traumatic. So I was like in the kitchen, um, a kitchen full of men, and I now have hot water that's like in my shoes and on my pants. And I like didn't want to just strip down in front of all yeah. these men that I worked with. So I kind of burst into the dining room and took my pants off there instead. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I had to come off because I was just being burnt. And luckily the chef coat was a men's chef coat and I was swimming in it. So it could have been a dress and I don't think anyone yeah. saw anything. <laughs> oh, that's a story. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, please, women's kitchen pants, please. <laughs> Consider it done. <laughs> I'll be your first customer, I promise. I'll send you my measurements. <laughs> That's actually why we brought you on today, Vic. We just had a lot of specific requests for us. Yes. Um, yeah. So, we'll update our yeah. wardrobes. <laughs> it's, it's the old bait and switch. Now that we got you on here, you're a captive audience. <laughs> I love it. I'm interested. So tell me, thinking um, of different garments that you wear in the kitchen, what would you wear on your head? Would you wear like a beautiful scarf or a pointy chef's hat? What What did you wear on and as your head? I went to a technical high school and we, so I started cooking in, in what would be considered a professional kitchen at 14 years old. Um, and we, the only way I can describe them is, you know, those floppy chef hats that kind of look like a muffin on your head? <laughs> 
I don't even know how to describe it. But anyways, that floppy muffin hat. Um, that's what we wore back then. And like, as I got older, they just looked so unattractive. It became an issue. And then of course, there's baseball hats, which don't allow you to put your hair up. And so I got to the point where I really enjoyed scarves, actually. You're totally on point with that. Um, because of the, the versatility of them, because especially if they're large enough, they can just be tied in so many ways to accommodate um, so many different hairstyles and types of head. And also I really enjoy, you know, if it's August in New York city and it's a million degrees and you're working in this really hot kitchen, if you just wet one of those scarves and then tie it around your head, it does wonders for keeping you cool while you're working in these really hot professional kitchens. Um, so yeah, really as, as time went on, I learned to love the kitchen headscarf. Um, I guess you could refer to it as, as just like the most versatile head covering for kitchens. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) I can just see the steam coming off the headscarf now. (laughs) Well, I I personally just think that my hair tastes amazing for it to everyone. (laughs) So I just leave my hair down and wherever it falls, it falls. (laughs) Um, on the topic of kitchens Vic what is do you have a favorite um and this is something I've thought a couple times with different people like I I mean I, I I'm an okay cook but I'm by no means a professional chef so I just use my old random knives that I've collected for a long time and you know a bunch of mismatched bowls and whatever I can get my hands on do you have a favorite like um awesome home kitchen tool that you think is pretty essential oh well you know my my essential kit is a great board and a good knife and a a sharpening stone I think as long as you've got that you're away Um, I've been using my pestle and mortar quite a bit recently and making pestos in there making guacamole um so yeah my pestle and mortar is kind of coming into its own at the moment but yeah anything with a sharp knife you can do anything <laughs> awesome hope what what about you and your experience at home what do you have a, a kitchen tool that either like that you like or something that's getting a resurgence right now so i'm kind of laughing because vic's response is actually typically my response um I get so much crap from people who come to cook in my kitchen because like I don't own a potato peeler because I use my knife I just do it all by hand with a sharp knife um which most people if you're not like using knives constantly don't really have the knife skills to like thinly peel off a potato without wasting a lot of edible potato part but um because she took that answer (laughs) (laughs) I'll choose something different. And actually, it's actually kind of funny is my mother was kind of obsessed with these, I guess now they'd be considered antique, but like hot air popcorn poppers that are, they, they have these yellow bottoms and white mm. midsection, like these yellow cone tops. And I, I don't even know what decade they're from or anything, but it was like such a big part of my childhood. My mom making hot air popcorn in this obnoxiously noisy thing that like shoots popcorn all over the room. <laughs> Um, and I have been just taking mine out. I found one at a tag sale, like right after my kids were born and I use it all the time with them now. And it's like such this nostalgia about, um, time spent with my own mother in a kitchen, my mother being a terrible cook. So that isn't always the memories that I hold with her. And, uh, now time spent with my own boys in a kitchen and 
you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily consider it cooking since I'm just throwing popcorn seeds in and watching them fly. <laughs> but I love my popcorn popper. That's great. That's a cool, um, probably a, a quarantine, something that is seeing more action than it has in a long time because of what's going on. Yeah, it's like every other <laughs> night we take that thing out. <laughs> <laughs> I like um, my cast iron that I've been using it's um I just love anything and cooked in a cast iron pan just has a little more romance for me no matter whether it's a no matter what it is really it could be vegetables or meat or something but um I just really love it and my and the Dutch oven the enameled Dutch oven pot is really those are my two favorites it's just whatever you make in it is more special it could could be just a pot of boiled water but if it's if it's in the <laughs> Dutch oven it's special that's funny <laughs> Now, I've loved our conversation today, and um, I kind of just want to come right out there and ask. So, Vic, what is your perspective on the intersection of food and feminism? What do you think that is? Well, where do I start? (laughs) Um, So I guess I come at it um, thinking of real food um, and thinking of taking going back to basics with real food and making the choices of how we eat and how we source our food as being as being a, a political gesture. Um, and for me, that brings me back to feminism in that, you know, what we do in our personal lives and the way we live our lives um, is, is acting out our beliefs. Um, I think feminism really hits the food industry, which is kind of something separate to food per se, but the food industry, because it is so obviously dominated um, by the patriarchy. Um, So there's quite a bit of work for feminism to do there. But coming back to that idea of um, well-run kitchens, well-run by women, being for the benefit of all, for me, that is the essence of feminism, that it is there to create a fairer, more egalitarian society for us all. and I see that happening through the prism of food, through the prism of food, the food industry and restaurants. I see that as a possibility that is already happening, you know, in, in some places, in some of the best restaurants. Um, so that's that's kind of my take on the two together. Oh, again, I'm just smiling over here. It's so great. I, I love to hear that. And Um, It's an interesting perspective being on this end of these um, episodes and interviews we've been doing to hear some of the commonalities. And I think that's pretty similar with what how some other women are, whether they think that explicitly, like how you eloquently just stated that, or if they just act that way uh, implicitly, and maybe they don't see it as being, oh, I'm a feminist, or oh, I have these feminist values, but they're living that, you know, they, they inherently see the value of celebrating women run businesses and kitchens and endeavors because they create what it seems like is some more egalitarian ways. It brings us back to a way of cooking and eating that I think we all appreciate. And I think that's really lovely. And it seems like that's a pretty common theme. So maybe we're finally getting to the root of this question here. That's why that's why Hope and I are here. And that's why we asked that question. We're really trying to figure that out. What is that intersection? Um, what is it? Is there anything of value there? And, and what is it? And I think that's a pretty good summation so far. Thank you. So Vic, you had mentioned um, this project, this blog project about gathering stories from other women when you were making this transition from your bistro to your clothing line, um, Bird Kitchen Clothing. Are we still able to read this blog anywhere? Does it still exist? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's under my blog, Fick North Food Notes, and the the Women in Food series is on there. Um, I often put links on it through my bird newsletter, um, and I profile it in our social media. But yeah, those interviews are all there, vicnorthfoodnotes.com, um, and Women in Food series is, is on that website. Can you spell that for us, the... The Fick North, can you spell that? Yeah, V-I-C-N-O-R-T-H, Food Notes, F-O-O-D-N-O-T-E-S. And now where can our listeners find out more about Bird Kitchen Clothing? For sure. Um, well, the website is birdkitchenclothing.co.uk um, and also on Instagram, really active over there, Bird Kitchen, and Facebook too. And then we have a regular newsletter that goes out, and that's a mixture of recipes, um, news of what women are up to um, with food and in food. Um, and you can sign up for that via the website um, and get it straight in your inbox. Fantastic. Well, I will certainly be um, looking at Vic North Food Notes later this evening when I'm looking for something to read tonight because I am so excited to learn some of those stories firsthand of which inspired you to create your clothing line. I want to thank you again for joining us today. Um, I've loved our conversation. I love everything you're trying to do with Bird Kitchen Clothing and as a woman in the food industry for most of my adult life, I really appreciate the effort to create a brand and a work clothing line that really works for women's bodies um, and for the, the actual work we do that's practical. Thank you. So thank you as always, Sandy and Vic. And this has been another episode of Femidish, where we seek to find the intersection of food and feminism by sharing stories of women throughout the world. You can find more about our podcast at femidish.com and on Instagram and Facebook at femidish. If you check out our website, you can see our blog, you can purchase merchandise, and you can listen to all of our episodes right there from our website or on Spotify. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. Hanging out the towels We were trying to save the world I was picking up the house Why don't you put it down? Come over Come over